Thank you for visiting Crosslink Community Church. We are located in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more information, please visit us online at cocchurch.com. Let's listen to one of our Sunday morning messages. I want to tell you a story, start today by telling you a story. And if you uh, have a Bible with you, uh, you can turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13 is where we'll begin, uh, we'll, we'll bring most of our remarks from, from there this morning. But I, I heard a story about a guy that was, was sweeping, he was working for a company, he was sweeping at night, he was cleaning the building at night, sweeping the hallways, and as he was sweeping through the hallways, you know, kind of feeling bad about himself and like he wanted a better job, and he, he came across this bottle and it had a genie in it, so, you know, he, he gets the proverbial three wishes and and the first wish that he you know what do you want and she, he said well i'd like to be more important in this company i'd like for some people to answer to me and so you know poof he's he's middle management he's got some people that are under him and and uh, they they answer to him and he's got some responsibility and things are kind of good and and uh, so he gets a chance for a second wish and he says you know i want i want more responsibility than this i want to be more important than than this so poof you know he's got this really cool office and he's wearing a suit and people are calling him sir and he's signing checks and you know it's it's life's pretty good for him and so he gets another opportunity and what's your third wish and he says well i want to be the most important person in the company poof he's pushing a broom in the hallway at night you know what our culture deems as important and how our culture looks at importance um it's it's way different i want to read a passage of scripture to you matthew 23 verse 11 the greatest among you will be your servant verse 12 for whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted that flies in the face of everything that our culture teaches us about success if i were to ask you what do you want out of your kids one of the things you're going to say to me is i want my kids to be successful if i ask you to define what successful means chances are good you're going to tell me about the kind of profession they have the kind of money they make the kind of house they live in you know i mean do they have the 2.5 kids do they you know do they do they do they measure up to the standard that our culture has set for success even the language that we use and i just used a term that that you could kind of fold into this category the terminology that we use in our culture to describe success, it, it, it tells on us. We talk about rising to the top. We talk about climbing the corporate ladder. It, it's about getting up above everybody else. But the kingdom, the, the culture of the kingdom, in the culture of the kingdom, Jesus flips all that around. And it's entirely different. And he begins to talk about um, doing what, what Bill Hybels re- referred to as descending into greatness. Hybels wrote a book called Descending into Greatness. We used it as a rock group book when I was a youth pastor. That's a different terminology. We, we don't, we're not used to thinking about descending into greatness. If you're going to be great, we think about achieving this pinnacle point where we are better. We, we rise above. We climb the ladder. We get to the top of the mountain. John 13 is going uh, to be the, 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 the base this morning for where we'll bring our remarks. Jesus and his disciples are having supper together. This will prove to be the last supper that Jesus will spend with his disciples. He's got a, a, a pretty big couple of days ahead of him just after this. In a few days, he'll be crucified. And, and 
what we find out from Luke, we don't get this in John, in the, in the account of John, but in Luke, Luke wrote about this event too. And in Luke, what we learn is that these guys, the disciples, as they were with Jesus, were having a conversation, better word might be debate, a more accurate word might be an argument. They begin to argue, what do you suppose the disciples are arguing about? Who is the greatest? Who is the greatest? And I, you know, I wasn't there, we weren't there, don't know, but it's highly possible that that's, that debate, that argument sounded a little something like this, that Matthew would have said, well, you know, I'm the one that keeps track of, I'm, the, I'm a money guy and I, I've, I've done some money things. Judas could have done this as well. I'm a money guy. We couldn't do ministry if it wasn't for me. John could pipe up and say, you know, you remember when Jesus and, and Moses and Elijah came down right before Jesus went up and there was the fog on the mountain kind of thing? And, and, and you remember all that? Guess who was there for that? John would say, me, I was there for that. Peter, not to be outdone, could have said, well, guys, do you remember when Jesus was on the water, walking on the water? You remember that? And I got out of the boat. I was the only one that had enough faith to get out of the boat and to make my way to Jesus. Now, it didn't turn out all that well for me, but, it turned, but I did more than the rest of you did, so I've got to be the greatest. I mean, certainly, I've got to be more important than anybody else in the group. This week, we're going to see that a disciple of Jesus washes feet. John chapter 13, verse 2. The evening meal was being served. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, I need you to circle that word in your Bible. If you've got a pen in your hand, I want you to circle the word so. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. So, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. The Bible tells us that Jesus knew some things. He knew he was going to die. He knew that Judas Iscariot had, had made plans to betray him. And he knew that he was the son of God and that God had given all things under his authority. We, we learn all that as we read that account. And then we come to verse 4. That very first word is the most important word in everything we just read. So, knowing what he knew. So, he got up, he wrapped a towel around his waist. I don't know about you, but if that was me, if I knew all that stuff, if I knew that I had the power of God, I think I would be doing that differently if it were me. I would be making sure that every disciple I had was reminded of the fact that I was the Son of God. Maybe I'd be tempted to pull Judas aside and say, look, I know what you've done. I know that you've gone and schemed and you've made this deal, this underhanded deal, and I know that it's going to eventually cost me my life. I know all that. Doesn't matter. You need to understand that God's will is going to be affected. Doesn't matter what you've done. I would want Judas to know that. That's the way I would have handled it. Or with the other disciples around, I might be really tempted to say, you know what, I've got a rough couple of days coming up, and in the end, it's going to cost me my life. How about somebody serving me? How about somebody washing my feet? How about somebody thinking about me for a change? That's not what Jesus did. He knew all this stuff. He knew it. So he had nothing to prove. 
So what did he do? Jesus did exactly what he came to do. He served. He took off his outer garment. He put a towel around his waist. You see, you have to understand that in first century culture, other people would wear towels around their waist. It was a symbol of being a servant. It was, you know, you, you've ever seen that silhouette of a, of a, a chimney sweep? I mean, you, you, know, you see those tools and you think, oh, that's a chimney sweep. Or you see uh, a, a pipe wrench, you think, oh, that's a tool for a plumber. I mean, there are certain things that when you see, you just equate them with, with a, a certain profession or a certain um, event or a certain hobby. If you see a golf club, you imagine a golfer. I mean, there's certain things that we, we see and we just make the leap. That's what that is. When you saw a person with a towel around their waist, what you knew you were looking at was a servant, a slave. So here's Jesus putting a towel on in such a way as a slave would do. And the disciples are watching that happen and they're saying, what's going on? What's he doing? And Jesus was giving an outward reminder of an inward truth that I came to serve. How about you? How about us? Why, Why are we here? Are we here to serve or are we here to be served? Are you here because you want to be a part of what God's doing or are you here trying to figure out what you can get from all this? I mean, there's basically, you know, are you a spiritual consumer? You come to church and then, you know, you're, you're out and, and then it's on with life. It's just, I'm going to go do life my way, my rules, and I'm not really going to think of anybody. I'm just going to, I'm going to be a sponge and I'm going to soak I'm not ever going to really be wrung out. Or are you a spiritual contributor? You come to church, you leave, and you go out and you serve those around you. We, if you're new to us, we've been working through, um, we, we did a, a, what they call a transforming church index in the fall. And the, the company that did that with us, we've, we've learned a lot as we've gone through that process. And we've learned what it, what, what, what makes for a healthy church and one of the first things we learned is that that there are two kinds of churches and every church struggles with this balance of are you a consumerist church or are you a church of community and the more a church of community you can become the healthier you are as a church Uh, if you're really consumer driven it's going to look like this i mean and we do some consumer driven things around here not not going to lie to you i'm not going to try and make you think we don't we do I, I, there's one preacher that I listen to they don't do anything consumer I mean they, it's almost like they have a knee jerk reaction against it but when you walk in here there are certain things that we do from a consumeristic perspective you can get coffee at the coffee bar and come in here and relax and that's a consumer thing you know we, we, we realize our mission statement is to bring people to Jesus we understand that when people walk into church they're not ready to go right out, right out of the chute to be a, a you know a, a mature Christian believer. I mean, it, it takes, there are some steps that have to be taken, and quite honestly, there are people in this room this morning that are all over the map in terms of what they understand about Jesus, what they know. We know that, so we want to be a place where you can come and just kind of relax, and you can kind of learn at your, at your own pace, and as you get, come up on these, you know, stages of commitment that you say, you know what, I'm ready to take that step. I want to, I want to make that commitment, but it starts, it might start with somebody walking in and saying, I'm going to just come and have a cup, cup of coffee. Great. And so we, from a consumeristic perspective, we do that. We engage in that. We, we encourage some consumeristic stuff. I'll tell you a way to, to, 
check yourself and see if you think you're consumeristic or not. Have you ever uttered this phrase? I went to church today and I just didn't get anything out of it. If you've ever said that, you were thinking like a consumer. And, and, you know, let's face it, in this country, we're good at consuming. That's what we are. We are a nation of consumers. We use most of the world's resources. And and I heard a preacher say not long ago, and and when I heard it, it it just was like a light went on for me. And I thought, man, that's it. That's it. He made this statement. He said, I want our church to be known more for what happens Monday through Saturday than for what happens on Sunday. What he's saying is, I want our church to be known more for community than for consumption. And something clicked with me. I'll be real honest with you. As a preacher for a long time, I've really focused in on what happens on Sunday. We're always going to focus in on what happens on Sunday. We've referred to in the, in the office, we don't say this publicly very much, but we refer to Sunday as the Super Bowl. We have a Super Bowl every Sunday. We, we're going to have people in our building that are new to us. We want to make sure we make a good impression. We want everything to go well. We hope the preacher doesn't say something stupid. We hope the instruments all work right. We hope the sound is right. We hope everything, we hope that, that people greet one another. We hope that when people come in here, they feel like they've found a place to be. And we are putting our best foot forward. If you know what our uh, philosophy of ministry is, you understand some of that, our foyer to kitchen philosophy. Some of that, it's all on our website. If you're wondering, what's he talking about? Go to the website and it'll explain all that to you. So we are consumer driven. But the goal for us is to have you come in here and as quickly as we can move you from consumer to community. In other words, to move you from a place where you don't just come in thinking about you, but you leave thinking about how you can serve somebody else. That's really what we're after. John 13, 5 says that after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. I want you to have this image of Jesus with a towel around his waist. You have to understand the immensity of the act. You have to understand it in its context. You see, in our culture... All the roads are paved, sidewalks paved. I mean, you know, concrete sidewalks. I mean, a lot of us have uh, sidewalks to our house, you know. We, we, we're just, people from third world countries would come see how we live and they would just marvel. I mean, no matter what house you live in, there are people in the world that if they walked up to your house would think you live in a palace. I don't care what your house looks like. That you have a house makes you live in a palace according to some people. First century roads that led into Jerusalem were all made of dirt. If they were dry, they were just, you know, inches of dust. If they were wet on a day like today, you'd just, feet would be caked with, with mud. What you wore uh, on your feet, you would, you know, they might refer to as shoes, but I think that that would be stretching it. Basically, a, a, just a little something to put on the bottom of your foot to protect it, to give it some semblance of protection, uh, a piece of leather that was, that was held in place with some leather straps wrapped around your ankle. That was a shoe. Little comfort, little protection 
uh, from the, the mud and the dirt and the goop that you walk through. Keep in mind that not only humans walked these roads, but animals walked these roads, and most of them, when the spirit moved, it kind of just moved, okay? They didn't, they didn't go off to the side. They just kind of did what they did where they did it. So you had to navigate that as well. So in a first century Palestine culture, you walked on a road, and you just, when you walked that road, you pretty much walked through whatever had gone before you. Foot washing was a pretty disgusting job. The, the disciples really, here's what you need to understand. They had no category of thinking for being the foot washer. Let me try and explain what I'm talking about. One of my favorite shows to watch on cable, and I don't get to see a lot of television. I get to see some foot basketball games. I like that. Um, I, I get to see, you know, bits and pieces of some things. But one show that I really do like to watch, if I can ever catch it on, is Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe. How many of you are Dirty Jobs fans? Love Mike Rowe. I think that guy's hilarious. I just, the look on his face when he realizes what he's going to have to do sometimes is just priceless. And he's done some things on that show, and you think to yourself, I remember I've seen him do a couple of things, and I just, I think, I, I didn't realize that a human had to do that. I'm going to get gross for just a minute, okay? One day, he worked at the waste treatment facility in San Francisco. Nasty 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 (laughs) and we watched him do that and he came up to this tank that had been used and he had to go in and clean it and he's got this hose and stuff's flying and I'm like I'll move on okay because it's not a picture you want to this is not what the sermon's about trust me but I'm trying to make this point I'm trying to make this point I never knew that a human had to do that. There was no category of thinking in my mind that a human did that. Another time he, he showed what a, I think they're called roughnecks, the guys that drill for oil. To do that, they have to, they have, to have this mud. And if you watch the show, you probably have seen this. They, they, this chemical kind of mud they use to, to help the, the bits to, get, to drill down into the reservoir to actually tap for the oil. So... So he's doing this job with them, and he's got this stuff all over him. And the guy looked at him, and he said, look, you're, you're, that's going to stay with you for a while. I mean, that, you're going to smell like that. You're going to go home tonight and take a shower. It's not going to go away. You're gonna, that's in your skin. It's going to smell like that for a while. They transport this mud in these trucks, and, and at one point they show this truck, and it's got to be cleaned out. And they go up inside this truck, and they show all the stuff on the walls and and sure enough, Mike Rose got to crawl in there with a power hose and spray that thing out. It was nasty. I'm thinking, you can't get a monkey to do that or something. You can, there's some other way that can be done. I mean, you just never dream that a human would do that. So washing feet was a pretty disgusting job. It certainly wasn't something that anybody was going to jump up to do it wasn't something that you would be excited about it goes further than that in this culture 
see, what would happen is in this culture, you would host guests. And when your guests came in, to show them respect and honor, you would have their feet washed. I mean, it's just something that was just, you know, like we walk in and we shake hands. One of the things that would happen is you'd have your feet washed by the servant in the house. Now, here's what's going on. The master of the house doesn't wash feet. The family members don't wash feet. Rabbis and teachers in that time did not wash feet. You just unheard of. Washing feet was the lowest job on the scale okay so low in fact that not even jewish servants washed feet that was reserved for gentile servants gentile slaves because it was just it was a horrible it was the worst job i like i've likened it before to being the one that in the house that has to clean toilets and of course moms at this point go oh yeah that's me that would be me because i mean ladies let's face it there is no category of thinking in the minds of most men to wash a toilet am i right right that's your job. I mean, it shouldn't be, but it just kind of falls to you because there is a category of thinking in your mind for cleanliness. Guys, we don't have that gene. We, you know, there's a filter missing or we got one. Somehow it doesn't connect with us. The same way that if you have a five-year-old little boy and he takes his underwear off, they pretty much lay where he left them, right? Because there's no category of thinking that I would actually pick those up and put them in a hamper because he just doesn't think that way. The same way that those things happen, the same way that, that, that guys, you know, that just, there's, there's just not, we just don't think about it. We just think that the toilet fairy comes every night and just magically cleans that thing. That is what happens, isn't it? So the disciples walk into the room, and the feet have not been washed. And Jesus takes off his outer garment and he picks up this towel and he basically puts on the uniform of a servant the better word is slave son of God created these men he went in one action from being the teacher and the rabbi, the Messiah, the Lord, to being lower than a Jewish slave. And as he put that on, you just have to wonder what went through the minds of the guys as he started to drape himself with that towel. The disciples knew what this task was. They knew who usually performed that task, and when they saw Jesus assume that role, well, here's the Lord, our rabbi, our teacher, and he just went to the lowest rung on the ladder. He descended into greatness. You can sense the struggle in the room, and you can, you can kind of understand. When he kneels in front of Peter, and Peter looks at him and says, are you, are you going to wash my feet? It never occurred to Peter that Jesus might do that. Is, is that what you're going to do? You're going to wash my feet? See, I think the guys were stunned. I think when they saw Jesus, when they saw Jesus wrap that towel around his waist, they were stunned. It's just like, you know, you see something and you just don't even know what to say. 
Your mind has to absorb it. You have to think through what it is that's going on, and you think, wait a minute. I mean, there's a new category of thinking happening in my brain. I never thought I would ever see the the rabbi become the slave. I mean, when you see that towel wrapped around, I'm old enough to remember when the miniseries Roots came out. How many of you remember Roots when it came out? And Kunta Kinte. And I remember when they had Kunta Kinte, slave to me, the first image I get when I think slave is, is, of, is of Kunta Kinte in leggings and, and chains. So when you show me that image, I think slave. Well, when you saw a person in this culture with a towel around their waist, that's the image that you, that's what you thought to yourself, slave. You sure didn't think of Jesus that way. So, so these, you know, he's coming to these guys, he comes to Peter and he's going to wash Peter's feet and he says, you're, Lord, you're not washing my feet. Oh, yeah, I am. Yeah, I am. You know, you can just imagine what goes through the disciples' minds. You know, we should have thought of this. We, why didn't we think of this? Why, why, why does he have to think? Why does he do it? We could have gotten somebody to come in here and wash feet. If we weren't going to do it ourselves, we could have hired it done. Somebody would have done it. And you think, well, they should have washed feet. You have to remember that in this context, there's no category of thinking for them to be that way. They, they never even thought about it. I don't think it ever crossed Peter's mind. I think if he had thought for one minute that it would be pleasing to Jesus for him, I mean, Peter, if nothing else, I mean, God love him. Peter had his problems, but Peter had a passion for Jesus. And if he had thought for one second that washing the feet of Jesus and the other disciples would please Jesus, I think he'd have been all over that. I think he'd been all over that. It just wasn't something that he even thought about. It wasn't, he didn't, he couldn't, he didn't have a capacity to think about it. I think that's why he was so taken back when Jesus finally knelt down in front of him. And it hit him. This dude is going to wash my feet. So you understand that when Jesus gets done, Jesus said, look, I'm, I'm setting an example for you. Later on in this text, John 13, verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Now plug that into the context of your life. How is God asking you to serve others? Not what other people think you should be doing, how does God ask you to serve others? And how can you ensure that you have the same heart that Jesus did when he wrapped that towel around his waist and he began to serve his own disciples? There are three questions that you can ask yourself. We're going to work through these pretty quickly. Three questions you can ask to find out if you have the same heart that that Jesus had. One of the first things you can ask is, what is my motivation? What's your motivation? I can tell you what Jesus' motivation was not. Jesus was not motivated by pride or self-righteousness. It wasn't some kind of deal where he said, hey, everybody look at me. I'm about to do this really cool thing. Everybody look at what a great servant I am. That's not what was going on. He knew it all. And he knew he didn't have anything to prove. I meet some people 
who are so insecure and they, they have so much to prove. I, I, I talked to a person about two weeks ago. This person was a Christian. They don't go to this church. And I want to be careful because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be kind of harsh here, but I want to do it with grace if there's a way to do that. As I talked to this person, they talked about their family, they talked about their, their kids, they talked about their grandkids, and, you know, I'm having, that's all they talked about. I mean, that, that's all they talked about. And as, as we had that conversation, it was one of those conversations that you just waited for them to, to say, well, I know I've talked about me plenty now, enough of talk about me, let's talk about you. What do you think about me? You know, somebody just can't get over themselves. And I, I'm listening, and I'm trying to I'm trying to be nice and patient, and I'm you know I'm looking at my watch, thinking, okay, when can I leave? And this is like 45 minutes of this, and this person knows I'm a pastor, and truth be told, probably thinks I shouldn't be a pastor. That's okay. A lot of people think that, and that's all right. But I was kind of messing with her head a little bit too, as I'm wont to do on occasion, and will say some things just to kind of get a buzz and a reaction, and just you know kind of get you off kilter just a little bit I mean I'm not I don't really care sometimes and so I was kind of doing that with with this person and I said some things and you could tell I was saying the wrong thing it's like oh you know he's making me nervous and so this person began to like teach me from scripture which I'm certainly not above being taught scripture I mean listen I'm 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 not above that so that's not the point I'm trying to make but here's what was going on with this lady she was working so hard to make me, I talk about this a lot, to make me think she was spiritual. And she didn't look spiritual to me at all. And, and you know, as I've kind of worked through this week and I was working on this particular part of the sermon and I'm working through the illustration thing, I'm, I'm thinking about her and I'm thinking to myself, you know, what would her reaction be to this basin and this towel? She knew all kinds of scripture. She was beautiful, very put together, great kids, very successful, very successful grandkids, very fine. Wouldn't say something off color or off key because that's just good Christian people don't do that. But in my head, I can't imagine her serving. You want to look spiritual? You want to be spiritual? Love and compassion are the things that motivated Jesus. Jesus loved the men in this room. He loved us. That's why he came. That's why he served. That's why he died. He loved us. It's the kind of compassion that we talked about in the first uh, Sunday of this series when we talked about this compassion that comes from the inside out that when you see something, you can't help but respond to it. That you, you know, you can't, it's one of those things that you can't just walk by and ignore. It's like, no, I gotta, I gotta do something about that. You know, I, there's times that you, you're in a hurry and it's like, you know, I really don't have time, but you see it happening. It's like, no, I gotta stop. I gotta, I, I, compassion compels me. I gotta stop and help with that particular thing. What's your motivation? What is it, really? Do you you see people the way Christ sees people? Or are you just doing a task? Second question you would ask is, what is the need in front of you? 
Not what are you planning to do next week, not the mission trip you got scheduled. What's, what are the, what's the thing that's immediately right in front of you that needs to be done? Jesus had a huge couple of days coming. I mean, the next couple of days for Jesus are going to be nasty, horrible days. I mean, his agenda is not real good coming up. He knew he was going to suffer. He knew he was going to be crucified. Really, what Jesus did is the, is the ultimate, greatest act of service and humility that the world has ever seen. The Son of God, the teacher, the rabbi, the guy that could walk on water, heal people, water into wine, all that stuff, wraps a towel around his waist and becomes a slave With everything in front of Jesus over the next couple of days, what was right in front of him were dirty feet. And he said, they've got to be clean. Don't kid yourself. These guys' feet are nasty, okay? They've walked through all kinds of stuff. I don't know, I've done this with you before, I've explained this to you before, but Da Vinci painted the picture of of the last supper right and and in that picture they're all upright and they're all sitting at a table and they're all on one side of the table which is really interesting to me but 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 that's the picture that we get so when we think last supper that's generally this a lot of people that's what they think is da vinci's last supper not realizing that when a person when you ate in that culture what you literally did is you got down on your side kind of like this if you've ever watched a movie and you've had popcorn and you kind of scoop that popcorn. That's the way these guys were situated around this, this table that was not very high off the ground, if there was a table there even at all. So my feet would be down here and my head here, and another guy's feet would be somewhere in this general vicinity within at least three feet. Now, you imagine if feet have not been washed and they've been walking dirty, dusty roads into Jerusalem that day, you can imagine what's going on so when you when you hear that the feet need to be washed that's i'm not making that up i mean that's a real thing the feet were stinky and they had to be washed and so this is just something that's got to be done and jesus takes the most simple lowly task and he does it What is the need in front of you? There are things that we've got going on around here that we need to have done. Little kids need to be taught. Nursery needs to happen. Grass needs to be mowed. Stuff needs to be cleaned. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that needs to be done around here. We've got people praying. There's all kinds of things. We just hired somebody that's going to help us do that even better. I mean, I'm not very good at getting people plugged in. We just hired somebody that's going to be really good at that kind of thing. So if you're thinking, well, I want to serve. Well, we're going to be able to help you do that better now. What are the needs you can meet with your own family? Well, what's that thing that, that you think, you know, I could do that? Men, you want to knock your wife out? Clean the toilet. I mean, you may have to scrape her up off the ground and, you know, use the salts to get her awake, but try it. I mean, it might be kind of interesting. At work, what is right in front of you that you could do that people would go, I never even had a category thinking that that was something that I would do. I've not always been a, a, 
pastor or a preacher or a youth pastor there's been a time in my life where I worked uh, out of ministry and and have had different jobs and I've worked in factories I've worked in uh, union factories where you know you don't do someone else's job because you may work them out of a job I've had people come tell me stop doing that which was like a wholly new weird thing for me like don't don't help him I mean he's not, he's not getting it done yeah but if you if you help him they'll fire him because they'll think he can't do it and I'm thinking no not think he can't do it can't do it he can't do it well you don't help him or else he'll get fired okay this one job I had it was was a factory thing and there was a line and the line would shut down about 15 minutes before work the the bell would go off when the line shut down everybody just kind of stood around and talked for the next 15 minutes and I thought that was bizarre I mean I, I just something in me just couldn't do that so there were pallets laying around that needed to be clean, picked up and moved and there were sweeping needed to be done and sawdust and materials on the floor. So I would spend the next 15 minutes, you know, kind of picking things up and I had a guy walk up to me, what are you doing? Cleaning. Don't do that. That's not your job. You ever heard someone say that? I'm not going to do that. That's not my job. That's a person that's not thinking like Jesus. That's a person who doesn't think like a servant. I I was an intern three summers during my college experience. The first year I got to spend with my home church, uh, the church that I grew up in, under a guy named L.D. Campbell, still there, just been a mentor to me, and I just respect him highly and learned a lot from him. One of the first lessons L.D. ever taught me was even I had, as an intern, I had a job description. My first day, he showed me my job description, took me around, showed me what I was going to be doing, and he made this comment to me, and I've never forgotten it. He said, Brett, I want to make sure that you understand that even though I've given you a job description, I don't ever want to hear the words come out of your mouth, that's not in my job description. If I ask you to do something, I don't want to hear you say, but that's not in my job description. He said, you need to understand that in this office, I am as apt to get coffee for my secretary as my secretary is to get coffee for me. And we don't use the expression around here, that's not in my job description. What he was teaching me was, around here, we put a towel around our waist. And we serve. We're slaves to one another. So what's your motivation? What is in front of you? And what do you have to give? That's the third thing. What do you have to give? Remember Peter, he, he, he went through this experience with Jesus. And later on, he in Acts it tells us that he's on the way to pray. It's the praying hour and he's on his way to pray. And as he's on his way to pray, he goes by this beggar. This guy's not been able to walk his whole life. And the guy's asking for money. And Peter walks by. And what we find out in Acts is Peter says, silver and gold... I do not have but help me with this next phrase but what I have I give you what I have I give you what do you have to give time you got some time you got some money you got resources you got a place to live you got an extra car you got extra food what what is it that you've got that you could use as a servant what what do you have that would enable you to wrap a towel around your waist and to serve somebody else with it 
You know, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, it's not like he went to foot washing school to learn how to do that, okay? It's not like he had a degree in washing feet. I mean, he had the ability, the physical ability, to fill a basin full of water, wrap a towel around his waist, carry it, and wash the feet of the other people. He had no special skills for that. I mean, it just he had what it took to be able to do the job. What do you have to give? I, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to be real transparent here for a minute. I got in trouble in the first service for doing this because somebody came out and you know, wanted to encourage me. And I, I, I don't do this so that you'll come out and encourage me, okay? That's not why I'm doing this. I'm just going to be honest with you. I bring some real insecurities to this job. Real insecurities. There are a lot of things that pastors do that this pastor does not do very well. There's a, there's a, I'm limited in a lot of ways. There's a lot of things that I don't have that I wish I had that would enable me to do this better. And as I think about that, if I think about that very long, it has a tendency to make me kind of slump my shoulders and not feel very good about me. And, but here's what I need to do, and here's what you need to do whenever you go through those stages. This is what I need to do. I need to start work myself through these questions. I have to ask myself these three questions. Brett, what is your motivation? I mean, if your motivation is to look like some other great preacher, that's the wrong motivation. My motivation for doing this job is in line with the mission statement of this church. I want to bring people to Jesus. So that's my motivation. So, so you start there. Is your motivation right? Well, I want to bring people to Jesus. Good. Good. Stop worrying about everybody else. What's right in front of you? Well, you know, I, I can hear God say, Brett, don't look at everybody else's church. Don't look at some other big fancy preacher's church. That's not what I've put in front of you. What's in front of you? Cross lane's in front of me. Then do cross lane. Do cross lane. Okay, well. See, then, then you come to the third one. What do you have to give? The truth is, I see other guys do this job, and I just sometimes I just want to go, God, it is not fair. It is not. I mean, that guy is so organized, and he is so smart. He's so good with people. He's, man, he's such a good speaker. God looks at me and says, Brett, what do you have? Well, I got this. Well, then you use that. You use that. I gave that to you. And I think that he would say, when you have things in the right order, and the order for Jesus was love and compassion, when you have love and compassion, you will know the need that is right in front of you. And you won't be nearly as worried about what your gifts are as you will about trying to solve the problem and meet the need that is right in front of you. Remember the basin? We, we read about the basin. I, I wanted you to circle that word. You might want to go back. I think it's verse 5. Because verse 5 references the basin... And that's an important word because later on in Scripture, we're going to see Pilate has a basin. Jesus stands condemned before Pilate. 
You have to get that picture in your head. You have to get the picture of of an angry mob screaming, crucify him, crucify him. They want Jesus' head. They want it on a platter, and they want it yesterday. There's huge pressure on Pilate. And, And in Pilate's mind, I think Pilate really is thinking to himself, you know, I don't see any fault with this guy, and I'm really trying to figure out a way that I can let him go. But this crowd is not going to let me let him go, and Pilate's confused. And, and you know, Pilate, at the end of the day, Pilate's way more worried about himself than he is about Jesus, so he's going to do things in his own best interest. But, but I think he had a leaning toward Jesus anyway. But it says that he had a basin. There was a basin there and had water in it, and it says that he dipped his hands in that water and he washed his hands as if to say, I want nothing more to do with this. I want nothing more to do with this Jesus. I'm washing my hands of the whole thing. This morning, you got two options. You can stand in front of the basin this morning, you can dip your hands in the water, and you can wash your hands of Jesus, and you can say, you know what? If you're calling me to be a servant and you're calling me to be a slave, that is not what I do, and I'm not going to do that, and I'm just going to wash my hands of Jesus. Or, you can put clean water in it, you can bend down, you can take a towel, you can wrap it around your waist and you can use that to wash the feet of the people around you you can become a slave you can become a servant that's what it means to follow Jesus that's what it means to be a disciple that you wear the tools that you mark yourself as a slave that you would be able to say with Jesus in Mark 10:45 The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That you would say, I've not not come to be served, I'm coming to serve. You can wash your hands, or you can wash feet. Let's pray together. Father, It's so easy to make church about reaching consumers. It is so hard to make church about community, and it's so hard to make church about doing hard things. You know, talking about towels around your waist and being a servant and doing things that nobody else thinks about doing, it's hard to build churches that way because those aren't fun things to do. There's not, nothing glamorous about that. There's not a big long line of people saying, pick me, pick me for that job. Truth of the matter is, God, we don't even see half the time the needs around us because we're so self-absorbed. Because there's no category of thinking in our mind that we would be a slave. Father, it strikes me as as I... talk about this just looking at my own life this 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 need that I have for you to show me because without you I won't see it talk about love and compassion and sometimes those are so absent in my life 
And it just strikes me, Lord, as I talk about all this, that, that, that the only way we're going to move our church from being a, a consumer-driven church to a church of community, a, to a ch- from a church that, that cares about what happens on Sunday to a church that really cares about what happens Monday through Saturday is that we have to have your help. Because we just don't see it. And if we do, half the time we're not motivated to do anything. So, Lord, we've got to have you. Give us the courage. Give us the humility. Give us the compassion and the mercy and the grace and the love to be willing to wrap a towel around our waist and to wash the feet of the people that we see. Then and only then will you be glorified. Then and only then will we be the kind of church you're really calling us to be. Lord, we love you. We want to be more like you. We can't do it without you. It's in Jesus' name we we beg and we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. We hope you've been encouraged. Please feel free to visit us online at clcchurch.com.